Sunday school, uh, Bishop talked about a special kind of evil, an evil that went beyond uh, just normal uh, moral failure or perversion and into something deeper. So tonight I'm going to pick up where he, uh, I guess he just, I guess he just kind of did a, an alley-oop pass, and I'm going to try and get it through the hoop here tonight. And uh, so we're going to take a little bit of time, and I'm going to do my best to hurry as best I can if you listen fast. Somebody uh, years ago, uh, he said he was writing a letter to his mother, and uh, he said, uh, they told me that you're a slow reader, so I'm writing real slow. So, but I'm going to try and I'm going to try and move as quickly because we've got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, this morning, Brother Wilson made mention of, uh, in his preliminary remarks, of an individual in uh, South America that the spirit world recognized, never having seen a uh, this missionary friend of Brother Wilson's, never having seen him, they passed him on the street, called him by name. Many years ago in uh, the country of Columbia, I believe it was, Brother Bill Dross, the father of uh, Brother Wynn Dross, who was a uh, powerful missionary in his own right, happened to go to a mental institution uh, to pray for an individual that he had never seen, the man had never seen him, and when he walked into uh, the area where this insane man was, the man began to scream, Bill Dross, the Pentecost. There was, an unaware, there was an unawareness of the spirit world knowing when the man of God came to town. I had a similar experience when I was pastoring in the San Diego area one night uh, late. Sister Young and I and some family members were uh, in town, happened to be in town preaching, and we were showing them the sights and ate downtown one, light, one night late at a place that stayed open. And uh, as we were leaving, there were... Uh, we had met in two cars, and my wife and uh, my aunt had been together and had parked on another street downtown, and I had parked on another area. And uh, so not wanting them to go down these dark streets at night by themselves, I sent my uncle to get in my car, and I walked with the ladies uh, to help drive their car. And along the way, there was uh, what appeared to be a homeless woman strung out on drugs, it looked like to me. It was very evident she had known the taste of heroin. And uh, as she approached uh, from the other side of the street, as she got close without even looking, she said, uh, do you have a light? And my only words to her were, no, I don't have a light. And then it was as if I slapped her. She jerked back and said, I knew you were Jesus' name. I was looking for some emblem I was wearing or something. But I, I give that example, and Brother Wilson mentioned that this morning, to tell you that there is a very real other world beyond our natural eye. And uh, I think it's evident here tonight there's something beyond what we can see taking place in this house tonight. So it is with that intent tonight we're going to talk about that world. Uh, a special kind of evil was the discussion this morning. So let's look, first of all, at Second Chronicles chapter 28. If you have your Bible, I want you to try and follow along as best you can tonight. Amen. I'm going to ask uh, those in the uh, roost up there to help me as we go along. I want to make this as easy as possible. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 28 is where we will begin. Verse number one, if you're there, say amen. amen. If you're not there, just read on the screen. I think it's up there. Amen. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign. 
He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. But he did that which was, but he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord like David his father, for he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. At this time, Judah and Israel have become a divided kingdom. The people of God are divided, and so Israel has already gone the way of the earth, so to speak. And so now he begins to emulate uh, his compromising brethren and makes also molten images uh, for Balaam. Now watch verse 3. Moreover, he burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burnt his children, everybody say his own children, in the fire. After the abominations are like the abomination of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Now turn over a few pages to Second Chronicles chapter 33. We're going to begin at verse number 1. How many is ready to receive the word of the Lord tonight? Second Chronicles 33. Manasseh, verse 1, was 12 years old when he began to reign. He reigned for 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem, but did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like, here's that word again, like unto the abominations of the heathen. He's copying the heathens. Whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Skip down to verse 6. He caused his children, say his own children, to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Also he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with familiar spirits. And with wizards he wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Here's this place again. Both times there is a strange event taking place of the king's own children being passed through the fires of idolatry, human sacrifice. And notice it takes place in a place called the Valley of Hinnom. Amen. Now let's turn to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the seventh chapter. We're going to find this place, Hinnom, again mentioned in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the seventh chapter, and verse number 30. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, saith the Lord. They have set up their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. So what the heathens were doing outside of the kingdom, they begin to emulate. They begin to copy. And now it's not enough just for them to copy it. They have brought it into the house of the Lord. They have polluted and defiled the house where his name is. And they have built the high places of Tophet. Uh, Bishop Wilson this morning talked about Gehenna and hell. The word Tophet is interchangeable uh, with that particular word. It is a place of burning. We'll see later on. Which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I commanded them not, neither came it into my heart. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they shall bury in Tophet till there be no place. I want to speak for a little bit tonight on this subject, the fires of Hinnom Valley. The fires... Hinnom Valley. Put your Bible down beside you in your lap and I want you to bow your head. I believe God wants to touch somebody's life today. I don't know how much shouting will do or running or leaping, but I want you to open up your spirit tonight. God wants to purge somebody's heart. 
in this house. God, I pray that right now you would come into this house. I feel your presence here, but God, I want you to begin to specifically target people in this congregation. God, there are those that came here with addictions. There are those that came here with hidden struggles and inner turmoil and those that have allowed a place of sin in their life. I pray that before we leave this house that the Holy Ghost would make a way of escape in the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's begin our journey tonight. The Valley of Hinnom, some places in Scripture, it is called uh, the Valley of Ben-Hinnom or the son of Hinnom. To be honest with you, I'm not even sure who Hinnom was. In my studies, I've been able, unable at this point to find who he was, but in my study, I've been able to find out what Hinnom was. And uh, it was a very dreadful place. You that were in uh, the auditorium this morning, no doubt, uh, heard uh, a description somewhat uh, of Hinnom Valley. Maybe it wasn't called that. Maybe you heard it as the Valley of the Rephaim. The Valley of Hinnom, uh, the Valley of Rephaim are uh, the same place. These, these two valleys are really one valley. And it is a very dreadful place in the historical perspective of the Word of God. We first read of it, as Brother Wilson brought to our attention this morning, uh, as it is called the Valley of the Rephaim. It was uh, the valley, as the original language calls it, the valley of the gigantum, which would be transliterated giants into the English language. I won't take time to validate all of the points again. You need to buy tape number one. Uh, and so we'll just kind of promote that again, I guess. Amen. But, uh, but for the sake of time, let me just hurriedly say that this is where we first hear or read of this particular place called the Valley of the Rephaim or the Valley of Hinnom. It was a place of destruction and death. The giants, these offspring of fallen angels, these offspring of uh, what Enoch would call, we got a little ring, you can turn me down a little, a little bit up here. Uh, these, these offspring, as Brother Wilson brought out, these giants that were born, to the strange mystical union between the sons of God and the daughters of men. It was from whatever that strange event was, it was these giants that came forth. And this was the area, this place called the Valley of Hinnom or the Valley of the Rephaim. This is where they would abide. They would set up their camp, so to speak. They were very skilled, as Brother Wilson brought out today, to war against God and His kingdom. Their ultimate plan was to uh, pervert the seed, the righteous seed, because the promise had been given forth that of the seed of the woman, Messiah would come, the deliverer would come. And so uh, these strange uh, offspring as they were, the gigantum or the giants. Uh, the original indication, the meaning I called late last night, I called to a professor of ancient languages and I asked him about these particular verses and I said, what does all of this mean? And he instructed me, he said that there was definitely scriptural indication that there is somewhat of a mystical union that took place and a strange set of beings that uh, the book of Enoch would describe as well as other places in the scripture that the offspring was neither uh, neither a man nor a beast but was some strange uh, thing that would abide in this area and he said I said D -d do you really mean that this was uh, 
something that people understood in scriptural times. He laughed and he said, he said, in my studies through history and the Hebrew language and the Septuagint and historical writings, it became a very extreme thing of embarrassment to the Jewish people. And so every chance they got, they did their best to strike this story from any kind of record and try to just wash it over as something else. And so here we are a few thousand years later, and it's all very strange to us because it's not something we readily discuss. But nevertheless, here we are. You already thought the Rock Church was a bunch of weirdos, and now I am validating that. Amen. But at this point, this place of destruction that has been inhabited by the opponents of God's people, this, this mystical region of spiritual struggle and a place of strange goings-on, it had become a miasma of cauldron decaying flesh as we saw this morning a foggy the foggy vapors of disease and death and struggle in life being snuffed out over and over again it had become the place of pollution in fact your commentaries will talk about wherever you see the term tophet relating to hell the reason the commentators say that isaiah for one called the place of hell Tophet because to the Jewish reader, to the Jewish student of the Word of God, all of them knew the polluted place that Tophet was. They all knew about this burning trash heap in the valley of Hinnom. And so the writer Isaiah talking about the cursed place where these beings from hell would be cast and the leaders of the opponents of God's people against the opponents uh, against God's people. He said when I talk about hell I am going to call it the most indescribable terrible place that the Jewish people would know that's what we're talking about tonight Jesus would make reference today uh, today brother Wilson made mention of Gehenna and hell as this place outside of the eastern gate of the city this place Gehenna Tophet or hell as it would be it would come in fact Gehenna and Hinnom are from the same root word and so Jesus understanding all of the history that has been there not only as a Jew but as God himself he makes reference to this place of burning and fire and and destruction and punishment and so the valley of Hinnom was the abode of these strange earthborn as the Septuagint calls them these strange offspring of these beings that have fallen. The offspring, if you were to read uh, in the ancient languages, this language professor I spoke with last night, uh, begin to tell me about writings that date 2,500 years before Christ, uh, those that have been able to be found. There is one particular writing that talks about this strange group of beings that had fallen from heaven. They are called the Cathro-Tanuma. They were in other places called the Inguanaki or the Nephilim, very close to what we see their offspring called the Rephaim. And, and these strange creatures, as history and uh, the Word of God indicates, are neither man nor beast. They are, uh, like Brother Wilson mentioned, the Seder. They, they roam in wilderness places. They seek after dry places. And uh, in fact, in your own personal studies, there is a particular book from ancient history called the Epic of Yelgamesh that spends time dealing with 
uh, one of these particular beings that claimed to be three-fourths deity who was desiring uh, an eternal abode of, of life but was not able to be granted by the other fallen creatures were there. And the reason I make mention of that is you and I are now in a western civilization where we go to work and have a lawnmower and buy a dog and take vacation and everything is kind of in the box. But in years gone by, there was very strong relationships of somewhat we find between the mystical world of the spirit regions and that of just human terra firma. There was somewhat of a connection. I don't know how much of that we have time to go into tonight. But there is indication in the scripture, and I will do my best to hurriedly move through this, that there was a, an unholy union between these fallen creatures of light that had brought everything that they had learned in the heavenlies into some type of strange relationship giving birth to an offspring that would war against the kingdom of God. They had come to pervert the seed. There's strong indication that this was the reason for the flood. In fact, if you read the book of Enoch, what little bit I have, uh, have read of the earlier parts of that book, the latter parts of Enoch is why it was never canonized, because they were proved to be spurious, because 500 years after supposedly they were to be written was when they were released. And it was very strange and all kinds of crazy things that were added to it. But if you read the beginnings of that particular book, there are indications that these spirits talk about the flood that destroyed their offspring. These fallen ones, these Nephilim, these strange creatures that are there in the heavenly regions, banished to earth to never be able to ascend above certain levels. I don't know what all of that means. I see where the Bible says, I beheld Satan fall as lightning. There's something strange that takes place in the realm of the unseen. But you see, the flood destroyed the offspring. But the progenitors were not all destroyed. As we will see in Scripture, there was something that would again take place into what we know the word, the miasma at Hinnom Valley would continue. This mystical region was still the haunting ground of these fallen spirits. One place in the Scripture the prophet called this place the waste howling wilderness in our text we have we saw we have read how uh, three different kings in their relationship to Hinnom Valley in the poisonous vapor of the abominable idolatry King Ahaz the king of Judah Second Chronicles 28, he is a 20-year-old man that takes the throne. For 16 years, he reigns as king. And so into this story, the Bible inserts the connection outside of the eastern gate of Jerusalem, a place called the Valley of Hinnom. The very valley that the giants inhabited. The very same valley that the Bible calls the place of waste howling wilderness. The very place that these spirits we see in the New Testament that said we would rather live in a pig than go into that empty wilderness. This was a place where these spirits roamed. It was their haunting ground, if you please. And so uh, it's not long. Now, now you got to understand... These are not heathens we're talking about. These are the people of God. And so 
this king Ahaz ascends to the throne. Close proximity to the haunting ground of the fallen angels. Seeking embodiment. It's not long until the house of God is polluted with molten images. Altars erected to heathen gods in the, in the house of the one true God. It goes down a series of, of declavity. It moves into a, a place that is beyond description as Brother Wilson made mention. It, it moves to a special kind of evil because it leaves just idolatry. And it leaves just moral failure. It, it moves just past sin. And then we find this godly, supposedly man, a man of God who has not only worshipped false God, not only polluted the house of God, but now he causes his own children to pass through the fire. He offers his own children to the gods of the heathens. The scripture says, after are like the abomination of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out. God had removed some things from the people of God. God had taken some things and He said, You are not to have any part because you are a holy nation. You are a separate people. You are the called out ones. Uh, he called them His church in the wilderness. The ecclesia in the wilderness. You are not going to be like the other nations round about. But now we find a man living close to the haunting ground of the fallen ones. Suddenly his worship is polluted to the point until he begins to emulate the heathen. Through the poisonous vapor and the foggy mist, the fires of Hinnom Valley burned. Hell was expanding herself. Tophet was in expansion. We go again to another scripture we read, Second Chronicles, the 33rd chapter. Another day. Another king. His name is Manasseh. Young people, you need to hear this part especially. Manasseh was the son of a godly king by the name of Hezekiah. He had a godly heritage. He was blessed as a child to grow up in the home of an anointed king. Hezekiah had achieved the role in the place of God's kings that... He saw the wealth and favor of God that even King David never saw. There was wealth there. The Bible describes him as magnified, I quote, in the sight of all nations. He was a king that had riches and honor. The Bible speaks of all of his silver and gold. He had been blessed with spices and shields and all manner of jewels. Then as the scripture over and over again indicates of wealth, it begins to talk about his storehouses, the increase for corn and wine and oil. He had the stalls that were filled with all manner of beasts. His flocks had grown until they were full and overflowing their boundaries. He had even been a man, get this, of such extreme wisdom. The Bible inserts a little phrase about Hezekiah. It said, did he not stop the water course at Gihon? Here was a man that took the running waters in the mountains, the water courses and the waters and the streams, and he directed it straight west, the Bible said, into his throne, into his city. Here was a man blessed by God financially, mentally, and this was the home that this king had been born into. 
He had prospered, the Bible said, in all of his works. He had seen the godly heritage of his mother and father. And Manasseh had grown in this place of godly parentage. This was a blessed kingdom and it was this kingdom that was handed into the hands of a young teenage boy named Manasseh but Manasseh if you could hear me tonight I would scream to you to be sober and be vigilant because just outside of the east gate is a place called the valley of Hinnom that is the haunting ground of the Nephilim the fallen ones their goal was to pervert the seed the first time their goal has not changed and even though you're from a godly heritage even though you're from a godly family even though you have seen the blessing and the prosperity of the righteous in your own family there is coming some evil son that is going to try to pervert the righteousness that you are the Bible says that Manasseh did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord like to the abomination of the heathen. And he too caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of Hinnom. He went beyond the normal moral decay of the kings. He not only caused his children to pass through the fire, but he observed times and the horoscopes. He used enchantments and curses and witchcraft. He dealt in familiar spirits with wizards and sorcerers and wrought evil. Verse 9 said that this boy made Judah to do worse than the heathen. A boy that was raised in a godly home. When embodied by the fallen ones, caused the people of God to go beyond the abominations of the heathen it was a special kind of evil it wasn't just sinning like everybody else was sinning but there was something pulling at his being there was something that had possessed him to cause the people of God their very name meant praise but their name has been perverted until their lifestyle has superseded the sin of the heathen round about them the fires of Hinnom Valley were burning again the smell of rotten flesh as Manasseh's children are burned, placed upon the idol Molech with his hands outstretched and fire in his belly as they watch their children screaming in anguish as they pass from this life as human sacrifice to an abominable God. Hear the screams of death. Hear and see the sizzle of life being snuffed out. But above all of that, you will hear the chilling laughter of the fallen ones as they have yet claimed another victim outside of your home of blessing. Just outside the eastern gate of the blessed city, there is evil that wants to possess. But when it possesses the righteous seed, it goes beyond just normal sin and it takes you to a place of extreme filth and perversion how far down the moral meter does one have to go to sacrifice one's own children I mean it's gone beyond adultery it's gone beyond fornication 
It's gone beyond just idolatry. It's gone to sacrificing your own flesh and blood for your own carnal desires because of your nighttime romance with fallen beings from hell. Well, Brother Young, I thought Manasseh prayed through. Yeah, you're a student of the Word of God. You've read that part. In fact, in his immoral mess, in his, what is the word, Miaz miasmic condition, the king of Assyria comes and captures Manasseh. He's dragged off to a heathen land. He sees his sin, Brother Ken. He sees his failure. He grabs hold of something in the spirit somewhere and finds a place of repentance. And miraculously, God takes this man, brings him back to Judah, establishes his kingdom again. He is back in the city of peace, the blessed holy city. And he walks in tears. I can see, my God, we got to cleanse this place. He tears down the grove. He rips down the idols. He says, all right, Judah, all of you are going to serve the Lord your God. That's real good, Manasseh. I'm proud of you. You made it back. But the problem was, when those fallen spirits left you, you had a little boy by the name of Ammon who saw your failure and your repentance. But all he remembered was your failure. Ammon, don't you see, son? I repented, yeah. But I got a taste of something out in Hinnom Valley that I like more than the altars of repentance. How many people have walked away from God and make their way back broken and ruined and crippled and God brings restoration? But I want to ask you, how many of their kids ever make it back? The Bible said that this, this man, Manasseh, as he dies, his son comes to the throne. He only reigned for two years. But in two short years, you see these spirits that had left had come back seven times stronger. And they came upon a young teenage boy. And in two years, the Bible said that he caused them to do more than anybody else. The fires of Hinnom Valley still burned. They burned until they had caught. I don't know how it started. Maybe walking by the polluted heap. Maybe by the old swampy place of rotting flesh. But the vapor, the fragrance got a hold of Ammon. And it caused him to do more evil, the Bible said, than his father. The fire of Hinnom Valley continued to burn. How many children? Did Hinnom Valley slay? How many, how many perverted acts took place in the valley of Hinnom? How many were robbed of their virtue and innocence in Hinnom Valley? How many abominable acts were carried out? It went beyond just moral failure. It went beyond mistakes and sin. And move the people of God into the deepest perverseness that is indescribable. Perversion had, you see, perversion had been in Hinnom Valley for a long time. In fact, 
nearly 300 years before this teenage boy named Ammon, there had been a king by the name of Jeroboam. The United Kingdom of Israel had been split. Rehoboam and Jeroboam, you remember the story. The Bible refers to the sin of Jeroboam because just outside of Jeroboam's east gate laid Hinnom Valley. Wasn't long. You study the Word of God and find out what the sin of Jeroboam was. It was the beginnings of extreme sexual perversion among the people of God. Where did he get it? You ever heard of a guy named Solomon? With wives and immoral acts. But Solomon, we're taking your acts to another level. We're going to the place of special sin. During the reign of Jeroboam, perversion began to run rampant among the people of God. For 300 years, these perverted spirits were still working. Till 2 Kings describes it to the point at the time of Ammon and the one that would follow. As it had got to the point, hear me, that the houses of the Sodomites that were by the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the groves. The groves were the high places. You've sung the song, going up to the high places. What was the high places? It was in the groves of the trees. It was the places of idolatry. And the women wove things together for their false worship and their prayer flags and their little outfits that they wore to dance and prance. But beyond just normal idolatry, you remember the study of the feast that we did. The Bible talks about the feast of Sukkoth or the feast of Booths that was typifying what would happen by the infilling of the Holy Ghost, that each one would be their own individual temple of God. That was what the Sukkoths were about. But perversion at Hinnom Valley, these kings infected by these fallen ones had taken perversion to another level. Until now, they were building booths that had meant to typify the infilling of the Holy Ghost and were leaning their own booth against the wall of the house of God. And in those booths, they were committing sodomy. How far do we have to go to describe such a place of rotting flesh? But it had gone beyond even homosexuality. My God, how can you do that? Well, when the fallen ones inhabit righteous seed, they do more than the heathen. Because if you study the stories and the account of the houses of sodomy at the house of God, these men actually castrated themselves and dressed wearing the adornment of these women that wove hangings and played themselves as female prostitutes, selling themselves in the house of God. Singing and dancing in the house of God in their perverse state. You study it for yourself, you will find out that it began to be contest. Who could get the biggest crowd to the grove? Who could get the biggest group to come see the singers and the dancers as they sold their perverted souls? Do I have to qualify every statement? I want to tell you, there's been a lot of perversion in the name of worship in the house of God. My God, how could you do that? 
when righteous seed connects with fallen ones. It goes beyond normal sin. It was to this situation that a young boy named Josiah is thrust into the leadership role. Perversion, idolatry, beyond normal sin, devilish spirits, perverted people of God. 300 years prior, an old prophet of God. Prophet of God walks in and he said, this place is coming down, Jeroboam. You've started all this perversion. Everything's going to be torn down. It's going to be stamped down. It's going to be burned over. There's coming a king named Josiah. And 300 years later, here he comes. He's an anointed man of God. He's a man with a divine design upon his life, a divine mandate. What does he do? Thank God. Righteousness comes into his spirit. He breaks down the images. He cuts down the groves of idolatry. He fills the places with the bones of dead men. He breaks down the houses of the sodomites. He burns the high places. He stamps them to powder. He burns the groves. He takes away their horses. He slays the pervert priest. He burns their bones. He moves into the houses of the wizards and the idolaters and the images. He burns and kills and says, this is God's house. Verse 10 of this account says that he destroyed, defiled Tophet, this place of burning which was in the valley of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or daughter to pass through the fire of Molech. Josiah, why do you have to be so controversial? Don't you understand? This has been this way for 300 years. Don't you understand that this is the way we've done things? Don't mess with what you see. It's how we're growing. They're so talented. They're so anointed. I mean, they bring a lot to the table. Why do you have to be so controversial? Why do you have to be so old-fashioned? I mean, I mean, come on, don't you under? Why don't you just be like your daddy was? Yeah, come on, brother Morgan. I want you to get Second Kings chapter twenty-three, verse twenty-three. But in the eighteenth year of King Josiah, wherein this Passover was holden to the Lord in Jerusalem, moreover the workers with familiar spirits. And the wizards, and the images, and the idols, and all the abominations that were spied in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, did Josiah put away that he might perform the Why? words? Why? That he might perform the I want words? You to read that with me. That he might perform the words of the law, which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of God. Josiah. Just leave that up, Sister Tara. Why are you getting so riled up? Why do you want to rock the boat? We've got a good thing going. What happened to Josiah? As an eight-year-old boy, or a 12-year-old boy, whatever it was, he comes to the kingdom. He's just a kid. But the Bible says in the 18th year of his reign, there's an old priest 
that's walking through the house of God. Where 300 years before, there had been the word of God hidden in some cleft or some hidden place. And Hilkiah, for the first time, sees the word of God. Calls for the chamberlain, the voice of the king. He says, you've got to get a hold of Josiah. I have found the word of God. The man comes to Josiah. He said, Hilkiah has sent the word of God. He said, tell me about it. And there is just a young man in only the 18th year of his reign. The man of God brings the word of God. You want to know what happened? For 18 years, it had just been going the same way. For 18 years, it had just been a young man trying to figure out how he's going to do it and listen to advisors. He was trying to do it the best that he knew how. I mean, he hadn't had a good example. He's just trying to make his way through. But when the man of God came walking out of a room and he said, I've got the word of God, something got a hold of Josiah and he close he began to weep and he said something has got to happen this is the house of God I'll tell you what it was the preacher brought a revelation to Josiah and when Josiah got the revelation he said sodomites get out of here false gods get out of here images you're coming down it's time to clean the house of God Hilkiah brought revelation. Hilkiah brought understanding. And Josiah brought reformation. Isaiah the 29th chapter. Talking about this same area. The last verse of chapter 30 in this whole discussion. He begins to talk about this very place called the Valley of Hinnom and Tophet. And he says it's reserved. For, this, is the, this is the area that the prophet Isaiah talks about. And then all of a sudden right in the middle of all of this, this doom and gloom. He says they also that erred in spirit shall come to understanding. And they that murmured or whispered or, or talked about. The, the dignitaries are the dominions over them uh, those that whispered and complained uh, he said something's gonna happen and they are going to learn doctrine what's happening the only way to stop the fires of Hinnom Valley is somebody's got to get the Word of God and bring a revelation the Bible says that those that erred in spirit got understanding and those that murmured learned doctrine why do I preach like this because the spirits that haunt Hinnon Valley are still seeking embodiment tonight these spirits are still at work all the Rephaim, they, they got wiped out in the flood. Those earth offspring, they perished. But there were some strange beings between heaven and earth that were neither beast nor man that are still out there. Still at work perverting doctrines 
and compromising spirits. Quickly, get your Bible. Go to 2 Peter. I wasn't going to do this, but we're here. I've already preached too long anyway. 2 Peter chapter 2. What do you do? You want to come see a weed, uh, a reed blowing in the wind? Second Peter chapter 2. But there were false prophets, verse number 1, chapter 2, 2 Peter, also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even die denying that the Lord brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Many shall follow their pernicious...
think Peter understood everything we just talked about? He is in fact quoting from the book of Enoch that Pastor Wilson and I have already discussed this morning and tonight. He he again picks up where Jude talked about as you heard this morning. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment and spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, the preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. What are you doing? He's making the connection. But then he goes a step further and he brings to mind a man by the name of Lot who Lot has moved into a place beyond just normal sin and moral failure. In Hinnom Valley, these kings we read about caused their children to be sacrificed to the whims of these fallen beings. What do we see Lot doing? It has moved beyond homosexuality until the angels of the Lord come. And what does he do? He reaches in and offers his own children. And Peter, picking up on this, he's talking about the fires that burned. He's talking about the valley of Hinnom. He's talking about those compromising evil spirits that wreak havoc among the people of God. And he said, don't you realize that those spirits that worked in Noah's day, those spirits that worked in Sodom and Gomorrah, the spirits that worked in the day of Lot, they are still working in the church today. Enoch, quoted by Peter, Jude, and Jesus himself, spoke of these fallen angels of light. Three things are recorded in the book of Enoch, the first section. Number one, these fallen beings came to the earth and began to teach men to make weapons of war. Number two, they taught the painting of the face. And number three, the shading of the of the eyes. Oh, brother, you know, I, I, I'm not sure about all that. You, you're getting, now you're getting into Redneckville. Well, that's interesting. That's real interesting. Come on, come on. Jude, after discussing... Okay, we just read Second Peter. Jude, after discussing men... Creeping sister Tara, put it up here. Likewise, let's go. Uh, uh, he begins by talking about men that creep in unaware. The Bible says ordained of old. Ordained of old. What does that mean? In other words, there's some kind of old connection here. They're ordained to this condemnation. And what is it they begin to do? Hold on. Everybody watch me. We're not there yet. Watch me. What is the first thing that these old ordained spirits, the reason they're called men is because the term is actually in the masculine form. So the translators called it men, but it's really not men at all. It's spirit beings. These old spirit beings, the first thing they do when they come into the church, Jude says, is they turn the grace of God into lascivious. What does everybody that begins to compromise truth always want to talk about? They always want to talk about grace. 
we're under grace. We're in the dispensation of grace. It doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter how you dress. It doesn't matter how you act. It don't matter what you watch. It don't matter what you wear. We're in grace. And Jude says, you better be very careful because there's some old spirits that have haunted God's people for a long time. And the first thing they do when they get in the house of God, like spots on your feast day, they begin to turn the grace of God into something less than what it was intended to be. He goes on and he talks about angels who kept not their first estate, like unto Sodom and Gomorrah going after strange flesh. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers. These aren't just normal sinners. These aren't just normal, moral, moral failing people. But these are filthy dreamers. In fact, in the original of the Scripture, this verse begins with an adverb called homoios, indicating that it is with perverse beings that these filthy, decrepit, rotting, stinking, homosexual or strange flesh spirits have come in and have defiled the flesh. Bishop made mention of it this morning, but it must be reiterated. The word, everybody look under that word, say defile. In the, in the original, it is biino, used to describe the act of coloring by painting or staining. The spirits that began by turning the grace of God into lascivious. They come in and begin to teach the art of coloring by painting or staining. Some of you don't believe that. In fact, let me get, let's go a step further. Everybody say, me, I know. That word is used over and over again in the Scripture and in the Septuagint Greek version of the Old Testament for the term sexual impurity. The Word of God connects the painting of the face with sexual impurity. Oh, I just thought that was something some redneck made up. 2,500 years before Christ, a man wrote whether inspired or uninspired, he still wrote that fallen beings came and taught the shading of the eye and the painting of the face. Isn't it unique that when the Scripture describes harlots in Solomon's writing, it talks of them painting their eyes? Isn't it interesting that when the Bible speaks of a painted woman, it describes a spiritually and sexually perverted woman by the name of Jezebel. Isn't it interesting that 100 years ago in the good old USA, the only people that painted their face were the harlots and the prostitutes? It all began with spirits of perversion. Brother Young, this is Sunday night. Let's shout. Let's scream. Let's dance. Let's get the shout beat going. Let's talk in tongues, yeah? But unless we preach like this, it don't matter how blessed you are in the city. 
It don't matter how blessed you are in the field. It don't matter how many times you cast down disease and poverty until you get a revelation of the Word of God. Well, while we're on it, let's just go deeper. The Bible says men seek deep to hide their evil deeds. Deep counsel they seek. That's what the man of God said in the Old Testament. Well, to get deep sin out, you've got to preach deep. So let's go a little deeper. The Bible says a whore is a deep ditch. To get that spirit out of here, that perverted spirit, we've got to go deep right now. Let's talk about that thing that all you visitors already noticed anyway. So why, are we not, why, why do we not want to talk about it? Everybody say, hair. hair. Good. Why are you getting embarrassed? They already saw your hair do anyway. Yeah. Paul makes the connection of this act of the cutting of the hair with sexual impurity. Oh, Brother Young, I never saw that in there. He didn't say nothing about sexual impurity. He just talked about if she, if she be shorn, then let her be shaven. And it's the glory and it's the covering. And really that indicates authority and yada, yada, yada. Well, what did he mean when he said that for a woman to be shaven, it was a shame? Paul, with an understanding, because he had sat at the feet of the greatest scholar of his day, Gamaliel, he had learned. Uh, some of you are getting real nervous right now, but I'm in the Holy Ghost. He said, don't you know it's a shame for a woman to be shaven? How did they know that? Because you have to go back to the Old Testament to understand what he was talking about. It was the test of jealousy. The test of jealousy was where a man, here we go, the sexual impurity, where a man suspected that his wife had committed adultery. What he would do, he would bring her into the test of jealousy. He would bring her to the priest. He would say, priest, I think that my wife has committed adultery. What proof do you have? I don't have any proof, but I just got this feeling. I, I've been hearing tapes recorded at the house, and, and I've been seeing, I, I kind of suspect something. And, and so he said, all right, we'll solve this. And God designed the first lie detector test. How did it start? Woman... You are brought to the center of the people to stand before the priest and your husband and all the community. And then in the sight of all of the people, your head is shaved. It's a sign of humiliation. Even the heathens knew the hair was given for the glory. Uh, you, you can read about those that even begin to try and keep that, their glory at times of mourning or humiliation, and they would just trim the ends of it. Go read your Adam Clark commentary good trinitarian guy he'll tell you about the trimming of the hair but the sign of humiliation was this woman was shamed before the community her emotions are on eggs and she has been humiliated in the sight of her husband the man of god the other priests that are there in the entire community she's standing there her emotions her body is releasing chemicals that science tells us if you've ever read the book the chemistry of the blood it will tell you the minute details of what took place in the body when the body lies 
As this woman stood there, the priest had taken what we would call alkali water or bitter water as the Bible calls it. He would instruct, the priest would instruct the woman. He would say, drink the water. She would drink the water. And then he would say, have you committed adultery? And if she lied, the chemicals that her body released would unite with the bitter water that the priest by God's ordination had designed. And the Bible said that if she lied, it would cause her belly and her thigh to rot. And it's from this understanding that the Apostle Paul reaches back and he says, all of you people already know that it's a shame. He connects the cutting of the hair with sexual impurity. Good. All of you say, well, I'm never going to be bald. I'm not Sinead O'Connor. I'll just kind of trim the ends. Well, then what did Paul say? He said, if she be shorn, then let her be shaven. If you're going to cut it that much, or you're going to cut it that much, you may as well be, because you have, hum you have moved into the realm of sexual, spiritual perversion. And it was from that understanding that he took another step, and he said, therefore, a woman ought to have glory, power on her head because of the angel. Oh, I thought you were talking about ministering spirits. I thought you were talking about Gabriel and Michael going to come down and see me with a long hair doing a big bun and bring a blessing to me. No. Paul is warning you women be very careful because there are some spirits that still haunt the earth that move into your house just like they turn sodomites in the house of God. They seek down the pews of teenage girls and young married women. Seeking for those. What does the Bible say? I'm way off my notes, but I'm in the Holy... I may preach three hours tonight. What does the Bible say? Sister Wilson, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm at women's retreat right now. This is what I preach at Brother Hurst women's retreat. What does it say about those spirits that sneak into, into houses, capturing silly women until they're drawn away with their own lust? Doesn't mean silly and goofy women. That's not what it means. The original means it indicates uh, inferior. These spirits, the same spirits that haunt Hinnon Valley, these same spirits that have come and perverted and brought trimming and brought... What is all that? That woman in the house, she is an inferior. She's gained a little too much weight at the hips and her face is spread out a little bit from when she was 18. And she just turned on the TV and, and saw somebody in uh, advertising Clairol. And got Victoria's Secret magazine in the mail and thought, well, if I just, you know, just kind of trim this up, tuck this in, add this to, I could really be beautiful. What is that? Bible says these silly women with these inferior, these spirits sneak into houses until young women and ladies forgetting, never understanding that they're already made in the image of God just like he was. He had told them six times, you read it for yourself, in the image of, of him made he man and woman. He made them in his image. And what's the first thing the devil does? He sneaks into her habitation. And he says, the reason God don't want you to do that is because he knows the moment you do it, you'll be like God. What just happened? 
she was already like God. But this feeling of maybe I'm not as beautiful as I could be. Maybe if I just painted it up a little bit, notice it was a fallen angel that brought her destruction. Maybe if I just reworked all this and changed what it looks like and the color and the add a little here and insert a little fat from my hip and my lip. I, we'll stop right there. But what happened? Have you ever seen an apostolic that knew how to put on makeup? I mean, that, they, can't, they, they can't just do it normal. And, you know, we laugh about it. Somebody said, how do you tell, how do you tell an apostolic that's compromised? They're the ones with the black eyes from their earrings hitting them in the eye when they're shouting. But why do we laugh about it? Because it's true, first of all. But the reason is whenever the righteous seed is joined in union with fallen spirits, it goes beyond the abominations of the heathen. It will never be able to just kind of exist. It will always lead to more. Anybody hearing the word of God tonight? Spirits are at work today. Perversion in the house of God. I mean, think about it. I'm going to make some of you mad right now, but I could care less. We have, we have arrived at a day where we can sing the songs of Zion and click on porno sites three hours later. We have arrived to a day in the apostolic church until we come to the house of God to worship and while our hands are lifted, we scope the crowd to find out who our next victim of fornication will be. It has even gone until now we can have divorce in the church and both parties decide to stay. How many perverts have we seen come through the apostolic church? How does it happen? I'll tell you one of the things is I've just started calling it the venom of Hinnom. And I've seen, I've been around the block a little ways. I'm young, I'm just fat. 37 preachers in my family. Both of my grandfathers, one of my grandmothers. I've been around, I grew up sleeping on Pentecostal pews. I've been youth pastor in three churches. I pastored two, three, or whatever I'm doing. I don't know what we're doing. I, I, I've seen a little bit in my 26 years. 
And you know where a lot of this venom starts? It starts in a place in Southern California called Hollywood. Oh, we don't, we don't have, we don't have idols in our backyards anymore. We, we don't have, we don't have, uh, we don't build gods to Molech and put our kids on a literal, literal altar and put fire in the belly and consume them in the flames. But there is a place, a cauldron, a miasma of rotten perverseness that spews forth its wizards and its enchantments and its homosexuality and its fornication, its adultery, its idolatry. And so we actually, we do worse than the heathens of old who worship stone, we make gods out of Hollywood starlets and actors. We clamor to be seen with them. We want their autographs. We, the week after September 11th, I was listening to the radio, radio program by uh, a man by the name of Michael Medved. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of him. Michael Medved is the author of the book Hollywood versus America. If you have a chance to read it, you need to go buy it. It's a very powerful book. Michael Medved is not a Christian by any stretch of the imagination. He is just a good old American. And in his book Hollywood versus America, he describes the downward trend of America since the advent of Hollywood and television. His job, he's a movie critic. He actually lives in Hollywood. And it is his job description by his own desire to fight everything that Hollywood does. As I listened to his radio program that night, it was the week after September 11th or the next week, somewhere riding there. And uh, he was discussing and was reading from one of the latest uh, security reports. And he read where, over the radio, where the FBI and our armed forces leadership had brought in individuals to design scenarios that we would face in the Afghanistan uh, war and what we could expect to see coming from these terrorists are these strange diabolical people. And who did they turn to? Quoting from government documents, he said, isn't it interesting that the people they brought were screenwriters from Hollywood? He said, when you want to know the mind of perverted people, when you want to know the mind of terrorists and murderers and perversion, you go get somebody that writes Hollywood movies and they'll tell you what to expect. He's not a Christian, but can I preach today? How many of you parents have already sacrificed your kids at the idol of Hollywood? Brother Young, why do you have to be so controversial? Can't you just move on to DVD and just kind of ease through this and we'll all smile and get along and dance around the altar? I want to tell you something. Do you think we're going to keep righteous young people without preaching about what we're preaching tonight? 
Hallelujah. On the first Sunday night, from the heart of a young man of God, let me tell you, it's my God-given duty to go into the room and find the Word of God and say, Hey, Josiah, it's time to clean the house. It's time to remove the idols. It's time to remove sin from the house of God. Somebody better wake up. Said somebody better wake up. I'm so stirred up about this right now. I won't go into details, but I got on the phone today and called a pastor friend of mine who's been blessed of God. And I love him. And I said, you know what you need to do? I said, Bishop Wilson and I are doing a series right now on some things that your church needs to hear. He said, what is it? And I pre- this is the third time I preached this sermon today. I preached it all the way home from Oakland. He said, my God, I got to have this. I said, well, we're, we're coming. I just, I just took over. I said, me and Bishop are coming. He said, he said, man, you don't know. He said, I'm fighting all hell right now. He said, I, need, I said, well, we're coming. Well, Brother Young, that's not the way you're ever going to get elected youth president. You know what? I could care less. I'm not denigrating anybody. I thank God for youth presidents. I thank God for anointed leadership. But I didn't get in this thing to win friends and influence people. God called me to this church. God called me to this California. God called me to you as a people. And I'm telling you, all I'm concerned about is making sure that my kids and these kids have a home to grow up in where righteousness. I refuse to see one more kid sacrificed at Molech. I refuse to see one more young person whose virtue is robbed. I was in discussion. I'm almost done. Sit down. I was in discussion the last two weeks with several pastors, some of them older, some of them younger, and even my age. And they were talking about the onslaught of hell and how many, how many cases of adultery and pregnancy in their youth group. And they said, what are you struggling with? What, what's been going on at the Rock Church in Oakland? And you know what? I didn't mean to brag, and God forbid. But I'll tell you what, the reason we haven't seen some of those things is because this pulpit is screaming loud and clear that there's a way of righteousness. There's a way of holiness. Keep Hollywood out of the home. Keep worldly music out of the home. Get the scissors out of the girls' closets. Young men, be virtuous. Get rid of the fires that burn in Hinnom Valley. in this house tonight. Oh, I got a feeling that 2002 is going to be the year of revelation. It's going to be the year of understanding. All those that err in spirit are going to get understanding. Those that murmured are going to learn doctrine. Stand to your feet. I'm through. God is going to do a work in the rock church. This ain't nothing.
This ain't nothing. We're taking over. God's going to do a work. You know what? We need to change our mentality. The Rock Church is not just a church. God's been dealing with me about the future. The Rock Church is the headquarters church. I'm changing my mentality. Brother Mallory has been working on me. God's been working on me. I've been looking at the Word of God. This isn't just some place we're building a big church to say, everybody look at us. No. We didn't just come to Sacramento for Sacramento. We're taking over, Pop. We're taking over, Brother Morgan. We're taking over, Brother Sergeant. We're taking over, Brother Jeremy. God's going to do a work in the Bay. God's going to do a work in Northern California. God's going to do a work in the world. Hey, we just got word. We just got word Friday that Brother Ampad and Brother Martinez, have you already told them this? Are coming to No Limit to represent the nation of the Philippines. The greatest leaders in the Philippines are coming to the Rock Church in February to the new No Limits Conference. They've changed their whole schedule. There's people coming from all over this nation because they hear about what God is doing, what God, the visions that He's putting in. Hey, we didn't come here just to fill this pew. We have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. There's going to be missionaries come out of this church. There's going to be pastors. I'm believing God for every town between here and San Francisco. We're going to put a church in it. And I have preached for the last hour and ten minutes for this reason. Everything I have just preached is to explain to you why I preach the message I preach. Because unless it's preached, we will become worse than the heathen. God woke me up this week, early, early Wednesday morning. Everybody was still asleep. I went in, began to pray took out my Bible and I'm going to read you the scripture where this whole message just started this is how it all started I don't know how I found giants in the scripture but this is where it started Isaiah 30 and verse 20 your teachers will be removed into a corner no more but thine eyes shall see thy teachers and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee that says, this is the way. Walk ye in it. When you turn to the right or you turn to the left. So God said, you want to know how? You want to know how those that erred in the Spirit are going to get understanding? And you want to know how, Miles, how, how those that murmured are going to learn doctrine? He said, because son, you got to come out of the corner. And every time you hit the pulpit, the people are going to hear a voice behind them say, hey, no, 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 no. we got to get back right here. No, 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 no. And God said, you know what your job description is, son? I said, what? He said, you're Hilkiah. And they're the kings and priests. I bring the revelation. And you bring reformation. You're the king of your household, daddy. 
My job tonight is I've gone into the corner of an old room and found the Word of God. You want the blessing of God to return to your home? You hear the Word. Do the Word. It's not up to me to cleanse your house. I get so sick of you coming to me and knocking on the door and saying, won't you talk to my kid? Why don't you talk to your kid? I'm the priest. You're the king. Time for you to cleanse your house. And watch what happens. This is the same group that erred in the spirit. He said, ye shall defile the covering of thy graven image.